Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Clever Girls Know podcast. This is Bola Shokumbi. I'm the founder and CEO of Clever Girl Finance. The Clever Girls Know podcast is a podcast for women, offering a space for conversations around personal finance, business, life, and living. I'd love for you to subscribe to this podcast, and you can do that everywhere you listen to your podcast episodes. And if you love what you listen to, head on over to iTunes and leave a review so that other amazing women just like you can find this podcast as well. I'd also love for you to stop by clevergirlfinance.com. We have new content on the blog multiple times a week. We have over 30 plus free courses. Plus, when you sign up for a course, you can talk to a Clever Girl Finance mentor for free to get encouragement, motivation, or if you just want to have an open, no shame, no judgment girl talk. Finally, check out our YouTube channel. Just search Clever Girl Finance on YouTube. And if you don't already follow us on Instagram, you can find us at Clever Girl Finance. Okay, so let's get into today's episode. Hey, Bolanle. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to the Clever Girls No podcast. I'm excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited too for the convo. Yes, it's always fun to talk to my namesake. <laughs> I literally almost, was just thinking that. <laughs> you're an almost namesake. So your name is Bolanle and I'm Mojibola. We're both Bola for short. <laughs> yes. Welcome. And before we dive in, please tell everyone who you are and what you do. Sure. So again, thank you so much. I'm really excited to be on your podcast. I'm a huge Clever Girl fan. So yes. excited to be with you. My name is Bolani williams Oli. I am an incredible woman. <laughs> yes. yes. I love it. <laughs> who is full of a lot of passion, passion for my family, passion for the work I do, passionate about service. Uh, So for work, I am the chief financial officer and co-owner of Mancini Duffy. Mancini is an architecture and interior design firm based in New York City. We are 107 years old, rich legacy firm. And my partners and I are now in our own legacy building years. So really excited about all that we're doing for the company. I'm also the founder of several different organizations. It's a whole She Builds movement. As I said, I'm really passionate about giving back. And so whenever I have knowledge, I look, I create avenues to give back to people. So I have She Builds Live, which is my nonprofit that focuses on education in Nigeria. She Builds Waves, which is a career empowerment platform for women. She Builds Money, which helps small businesses get a handle of their finances and reach Nigeria, which is the connector hub between people and causes slash nonprofits in Nigeria. And as I said, I'm also a mom of two and a family woman. So I'm married. I have two little kids, an eight-year-old daughter and a six-year-old son. So that they keep me on my toes. And outside of that, I love anything themed. So you will always find me planning a themed party for my children. And I think it has now traveled in their blood. So my daughter already has like, oh, and my 10th birthday is going to be this. And my 11th birthday is going to be this. I'm like, girl, can we just turn nine? (laughs) So yeah. And then finally, finally, I'm also the author of Build Boldly, where I talk about all these great things that I have done so far in my career. I recently released November of 2021. Also, congratulations on your book. I have a copy of it here with me. And I find it very interesting and also exciting that you have 
had this really great career progression at a young age to where you're now the CFO and co-owner of your own architecture design firm. And you also have, you know, your organizations and your She Builds legacy that you're building. And that's just very incredible. And so I wanted you to share a bit about your career progression, right? How did you get to the point where you are now a CFO and co-owner of an architecture firm? I'm sure people ask you this question a lot, but it, I, I think it'll be interesting for listeners to just get a sense of what your journey slash career progression has been so far. Sure. Isn't that wild? <laughs> you know, when I, when I think back to the 17-year-old girl who moved from Nigeria to go to college in New York City, there is no way I would have envisioned where I am right now. You know, first of all, I didn't even come to college to do anything finance related. I was running away from finance because my mother was a controller. And I was like, no, I want to do a different career path than her. And so it's, I always laugh at myself when I think back to five years ago, when I joined my firm as control, I'm like, okay, well, thank you, life. <laughs> you know, the one thing I was running away from, I am now doing. But yeah, so, so my path to CFO is, was very, very non-traditional. I studied math in school not knowing what I was going to do uh, when I graduated. But I, I did a, a bachelor's and master's program that was in applied math, which essentially meant that I could apply it to any industry. Getting close to graduating college, I had no internship. I was very shy in professional settings. I just did an interview well. And so the clock was running, right? I needed to find work if I was going to stay in America. You know, I moved here as an international student. And I happened to stumble on a job listing for a junior project accountant at an architecture firm. And I love, you know, this particular point in my journey because how I, you know, found interest in applying for the job was because I had taken technical drawing in high school. Right. So there was one significant moment that happened in high school that made me connect to this job. And I was like, oh, I think this would be amazing to work for an architecture firm. I enjoyed carrying my TD board and T squared to, to this one class. I never took technical drawing beyond like one term, but that moment was what essentially allowed me to apply for that job. And when I applied, you know, just as I had said, I, you know, I wasn't interviewing well because I would go into these interviews thinking I needed to be one particular type of candidate rather than being myself. And so this interview, I remember saying to myself, listen, you have to go in there as yourself. You have to speak about this incredible degree that you're working on this incredible thesis you're doing, you know, you just have to go in there and be yourself and represent yourself well and communicate the value that you can bring. When I went into that interview, the guy sitting across from me also studied math. So we essentially connected on this degree that I had not been owning while I had been interviewing all this while. <laughs> and so I think it was like maybe two weeks to graduation or, or so. The next day I got an email saying I had gotten the job. And so I graduated, maybe it was like May 30th or May 31st, 2007. And then the next day I started work. I was extremely excited and proud for myself. I was like, okay, I guess, uh, you know, now I can stay in the country for one to get experience, even though I had no idea what a junior project accountant did at that time. I had no idea about the industry but I was open to learning, right? I was open to just diving in and, you know, being this working girl in New York City. 
And so I spent five years at my first company, which is called HLW International. 2008, a lot of your listeners might know, but you know, we had the financial crisis and that crisis essentially created opportunity for me because in our department, unfortunately for some of the folks in the department, they were let go. But what I saw then was opportunity, right? Opportunity to step into their role, opportunity to learn. And so I walked up to the CFO. I was like, listen, I think you need to take a chance on me. I can do their work. I've pretty much been watching them and working closely with them over the last year. And he was like, sure. And so he invested in me, right? Invested in in bringing me up to speed. And it was uh, really, really career changing for me, right? Because I just gained so much knowledge working through crisis. We essentially, of course, made it through that period. I spent five years there. I got to manage people, got to really learn about the industry and got a promotion, right? So the junior project accountant type was changed to project accountant. (laughs) Very excited about that. And I said, if I'm going to stay in this industry, it's time. I think five-year mark was the time for me to shift. Moved to a senior project accountant role at Skidmore Owens and Merrill, which is another architecture firm, really global organization. So, you know, I worked on the Wall Trade Center. SOM has done the Burj Khalifa in Dubai, you know, so essentially top four architecture firm in the world. And I gained more experience there. You know, it was interesting for me to move from big fish in a small pond to smaller fish in a bigger pond, but learning more about rigidity when it came to like month end close from a financial perspective, working with more people. Uh, And so spent another five years there and had my two babies there, had an early career crisis there. Like, oh, do I want to stay in this industry again? You know, I'm passionate about education. Should I switch industries? I ended up staying, went back for a second master's in education and social policy there. And one day I got a call from a former colleague, or I think it was like an email that said, hey, would you be interested in coming to run a finance group at another architecture firm? And I was like, wait, you know, like (laughs) right now I've only had project level experience. I haven't really seen things to a firm level, but I was curious, right? So curiosity is one of the things I think you need in your career, staying curious. And like I said, that that relationship was someone I knew from my very first job. Long story short, I mean, it's been a bit of a long story, but long story short, I ended up taking the call and it happened to be the president of Mancini, who is now one of my partners, mm-hmm. uh, Christian Giordano. And he just told me about his vision of where he was taking the firm to, you know, and how he really, you know, wanted me to come over. And so I ended up joining as controller 2017. I spent that first year again learning, right? Learning everything I could, setting me up for success. I had a financial consultant who worked with me that first year. But by 2018, we were like, okay, it's time for promotion. Clearly, you've been operating as a CFO, you know, not a controller. You you truly are a business partner to leadership. So I became CFO in 2018. And then we got to 2019. And it was like, okay, well, clearly you're very invested in the long-term vision of the company. And so I became part of ownership then. Mm -hmm. And we all know what happened in 2020. We went into a global pandemic. And so now I'm I'm a CFO who has led an organization through a global pandemic. Talk about training ground. (laughs) Talk about training ground. And so I essentially worked my way up. 
right? I worked my way up by relationships, right? There's something that they must have seen in me in that very first job, my character, my, you know, not exactly skill set, right? Because that has been developed along the way. You know, I, I truly believe that character is important. If you're an A player, it's very, it's yeah. easy for you to be moved to an A plus player if this is part of your goals, you know? And so here I am now, CFO co-owner, we're, we're making our way out of the pandemic, growing. We recently just acquired another architecture firm and lots of exciting things ahead of us. So yeah, that's, that's my career progression <laughs> <laughs> up until this point. Yeah, that's very, very impressive. You know, you go from this shy girl in college, not really knowing what you want to do, but knowing that you didn't want to do what your mom does. And then you kind of fall into this career in accounting finance simply because you took a design course and you got an email from an architecture company. And that's, you know, that's not something that you necessarily plan for, but you you made it work for, for you. And you, as you went over your story, you essentially talked about how you went from this shy girl to now this bold woman who is running a firm, a CFO, is a co-owner and has been intentional about making those bold decisions that you talk about in your book, Bill Boldly, to help you get to this point. So, you know, when someone hears a story of career progression like yours, you know, there's a lot of wows, wows, she's so amazing. Look at all the things that she's done. And people might assume that you have never made any mistakes, right? But I would love for you to share any mistakes or even hurdles that you had to overcome on your journey to getting to this point. And I think this is useful for those listening because a lot of women listening to this podcast may just be at that early stage of trying to figure out that internship, getting that first job or transitioning from a career after X amount of years and it will be helpful for them to learn or understand the mistakes that you made and what you learned to help them on their own journeys. Yeah, definitely. So I'll give two examples. One, you know, right around that early on beginning stages of my career. And then two, when I was transitioning to leadership, right? So, and let me start with the latest. So moving from, you know, just an employee or an expert within my field to now I'm in a position of leadership to control it. So one of the hurdles that I had to overcome then was just one, people underestimating me, right? Like when, (laughs) when you're a woman, you're a woman of color telling you, so of course, That first year as controller, you know, being introduced to a lot of our business partners, you know, people are like, oh, well, do you mean that she's the one that's going to be running the financial part? Is she doing like operations? Does she really know accounting? Did you say she's not a CPA? You know, and one of the things that, you know, I think I had to quickly get over was the fact that I will run into people like this. I also had to quickly understand that, yes, there are things I don't know. And how can I make sure that I gain the knowledge needed to perform my role effectively, right? So there were lots of people who just didn't see me in the position or being able to perform the role that I I was filling. And, you know, very, very quickly, I think within the first six months after I kind of like soaked up my understanding of the, the organization, soaked up the role that I was in, looked for my gaps made sure that I had put in plans to fill in those gaps, knowledge gaps, I mean, all of those naysayers sort of went away. (laughs) And, you know, I was in an organization that valued my opinion. I was in an organization where you didn't have to necessarily pretend to be somebody that you're not, right? I didn't have to, like, pretend to know it all, but I was there willing to learn, right? 
So one of the things that I think holds us women back or, or, or folks back when we're shifting into a leadership position is this fear of like, oh, I have to have all my ducks in a row. I need to know everything through and through. But no, when, you, when, when you're moving into that leadership position, you have to understand that you're constantly learning, right? Mm-hmm. And not being afraid of the folks who will see you and judge you or say, oh, you're not up to par or you don't have the knowledge or you don't have the academic background. Don't even bother about that right? It holds you back from really flourishing and holds you back from learning. It holds you back from learning. So that's one one hurdle I had to face. In terms of mistakes, let me give a, an example of a mistake. So, so that was the hurdle. In terms of mistakes, I had to quickly understand what I was not good at. I spent, again, that first year doing everything. So I was in charge of, I'm in charge of accounting, finance, HR, payroll, you know, IT, Payroll is something I did not enjoy. <laughs> like, you know, having to like process it that, that first year, I didn't enjoy it. So I quickly, quickly identified what my area of weakness was and identified who I needed to hire to come on board and make sure that they can excel and succeed at doing that. Right. So make sure that you're not like if you notice that you have an area of weakness and it's not your, your, your strength or it's not your, your zone of genius. Don't even bother wasting too much time on it. Look for ways in which one, either you can improve or two, if you're in a position to delegate it out or look for someone else who that's their strength, make sure you move it on. Early on in my career, like I said, I mean, I I kind of already said this in the story, but like, you know, not fully being myself, going into interviews and like maybe not even being fully prepared for, for the role that I was interviewing for. You want to make sure that you're prepared. But then you also want to make sure that you can speak clearly for yourself, right? So when we talk about my book title, Build Boldly, I noticed, you know, that that interview that I had done for the architecture firm, I was bold. I leaned into the bold side of myself. I made a conscious decision not to make the same mistakes that I had been making in the interviews that I did that didn't work out for myself. And because I went into that interview saying I was going to be bold, I was going to be myself, I was going to speak clearly about my values. That was the differentiator for me. That was my unique selling point in that interview. And so please don't make the mistake of thinking you should show up as someone else, show up as yourself. I love that. I love that. And I'll go back to what you said about the hurdle you faced where people just basically downplayed or minimized your skill by virtue of maybe what you look like, by your gender, by what they thought you were capable of. And, you know, I love how you prove them wrong by just basically leveraging your skill set, which is why you were hired into that position in the first place. And I think sometimes a lot of women build this wall of intimidation around themselves when this happens, where they now start to show other people that they are afraid and kind of help them validate what they feel about you when it's not true. And I've certainly been guilty of it. And, you know, what you said is just so important of just Remembering why you were hired, knowing why you were there, leveraging your skill set and proving those people wrong. It's not about exchanging words with them. It's about delivering the work that you were brought there to do and proving them wrong by what, how and what you deliver. And then the other thing you said about, you know, when you were interviewing for positions in terms of mistakes, not going prepared. I think that's something that is important to highlight because a lot of times, you know, especially when you go to an interview, you think that you know the role. <laughs> yeah. We have this sense of overconfidence where we don't we don't prepare. And then they throw us this like, you know, side question. You're like, oh, wait a minute. And we start stumbling through it. 
And that's yep, really yep, good advice yep. you gave because no matter how skilled you think you are, you always want to be prepared for every circumstance. Like, you know, you certainly want to showcase your confidence and your boldness. But when you're going into a situation where you need to prove yourself in order to get the position, to get the role, to get the project, you want to make sure that you can back that confidence up by preparing appropriately. Exactly, exactly. And I think I see it now, you know, now being on the other side of the table interviewing folks, you can mm-hmm. see, you know, which of the candidates or folks who are interested in, in, in either coming to work with us have done some homework right? Or just showing up as is. And I know like, you know, what we look out for or what other leaders are looking out for and and just being prepared makes you stand out. Yes, I definitely agree. Hey everyone, before we continue with this podcast episode, I'd love for you to check out the best-selling Clever Girl Finance book series. There are three books in the series and the first book is Clever Girl Finance, Ditch Debt, Save Money and Build Real Wealth. The second book is Grow Your Money, Learn How Investing Works. And the third book is called The Side Hustle Guide, Build a Successful Side Hustle and Increase Your Income. You can also check out my fourth book called Choosing to Prosper, Triumphing Over Adversity, Breaking Out of Comfort Zones, Achieving Your Life and Money Dreams. And this book highlights my personal story to building a business of impact and challenges you as the reader to dig deep into laying out what you truly want to accomplish for yourself. I wrote each of these books to empower women just like you to achieve your goals and get to the point where you're living the life you desire on your own terms. If you love these books, be sure to tell your best girlfriends and they also make the perfect gift. These books are available everywhere books are sold and you can purchase them as ebooks, audiobooks, and also physical books. And you can also ask your local library to order them as well. Thank you so much and let's get back to the episode. So Bonley, one of the things that you talk about in your book is authenticity and how authenticity plays a role in one's career. And I'd love for you to talk about that from your personal experience. What does it mean to be authentic in your career and how does that tie into you building boldly? Yeah. So as I mentioned a little bit, when I was writing my book and I was just reflecting on like moments where I saw real like exponential career growth and career progression for me, even within organizations I was part of, it was when I was authentic to myself, right? And authenticity for me just speaks to my integrity, right? Am I who I say I am behind closed doors and in public professionally and personally? Am I hiding any part of myself or can people connect to who I am, right? And so authenticity for me has allowed me build like real genuine relationships. It has allowed me connect with people naturally. I care about people naturally. I want to learn more about them. I'm curious about them. And so like even when when I was an employee or, you know, part of a a team, I would ask questions like, how are you to firm leaders? And (laughs) you would be surprised like you asking that question what you learn about the person, right? And so I've been in organizations where there were there was complete, you know, culture alignment with, with my personality and how the organization was. And I've been in organizations where I've had to sort of like develop my own culture within a bigger organization, right? So at SOM, SOM is a large organization, maybe well over, I don't know, 500,000 employees, who knows how many we were in New York. So it's easy to get lost in the shuffle. But one of the ways in which I stood out at an organization like that Mm -hmm. was connecting genuinely with people. And so that made people remember me. 
right? That made my name come up when we were looking for an accountant to run like our, our China work at SOM. So that project manager slash studio director wanted to work with me. And I would ask him questions. I would, I would go in there. I would talk about our projects. But then I also wanted to learn a bit more about that person. I think authenticity also helps me a lot right now at Mancini because it makes you relatable, right? I don't hide the fact that I have children. I don't hide the fact that I need flexibility. Like that's one of the things that I had negotiated uh, joining the organization. And so now I'm able to be an advocate for, you know, other mothers within the organization. I'm able to like tell people like, listen, today I give 10% to work, 90% to the kids because this is the stage that I am in in life. And I think, again, like I said, that makes you relatable to your employees. They know that there's a real person, not just this Polanyi as quote unquote CFO, right? There's a real person behind that title. And so it really, really helped me leaps and bounds one, finding just organizations that align with me, right? It's very quickly removes what doesn't work for you and what works for you. It connects you with the people who will help you you grow in your career. And I'm not saying that at every stage in your career, you're going to work in organizations that everything just aligns beautifully, right? There are seasons where you need to be in an organization to learn. <laughs> you need to be in an organization to help you gain the, the expertise that you need to. But for me, when I was now moving into position of leadership, it was essential for me to be authentic to myself, to the kind of leader that I wanted to be and make sure that whatever organization I was going to work with in the capacity of a leader, that there was alignment and I had to be true to myself. Right. So like it's caused positive changes for me in my career over time, over time. And, you know, I couldn't agree more about what you said are you who you say you are behind closed doors? I think sometimes we try to keep up certain appearances in the workplace or maintain a certain type of personality. I've certainly been there, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, with coworkers, whether you're trying to keep them at a distance or you're trying to maintain a level of respect if they're difficult people or whatever the reasons might be, right? You're trying to not look like, you know, if you're working with a lot of older people or a lot of men, not look like the one that is the pushover. So you kind of develop this kind of, I don't know, a barrier or like some sort of appearance Mm -hmm. you keep up, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But for me, what I found is that when you compromise on being who you truly are, especially in a work environment, where in addition to that, you also have to prove yourself, you have to deliver good work, it can get old very quickly. And you either start to despise the work and despise the people because you're not happy about not being able to be yourself there. Or you just, you know, you start looking for ways to exit because again, you're not able to be yourself there. And so what I found is that you can be yourself and maintain the level of respect you want. You can be yourself and have a good relationship with your coworkers and even the ones who do not want to have a good relationship with you. You can still be yourself and work with them respectfully and keep it strictly business. And when you are true to yourself, then you're able to embrace your position and love your job, love your career, because there's no pretense about who you are there. Right. And sometimes you're in situations where it just doesn't work out and that's fine. You don't like the job. You don't like the people, whatever it is, but it's important to be yourself. And I find that in the corporate world, in the business world, there are a lot of people who will tell you not to be yourself. Like, you know, I talk about this a lot 
in my experience building my own business where people would tell me, you know, when I was trying to raise money, oh, don't talk about your kids. Don't talk about your husband. Don't do this. Don't do that. I'm like, no, why would you tell me this kind of advice? Right. So being true to yourself is you doing yourself a favor. And I totally agree with everything that you said. Yeah. And I think just to add to that, you know, there's that fear of like, okay, maybe I might not be able to seal the deal or raise the funds that you need at this very moment. And just fear of like not reaching the goals that you want for yourself or for your career in the timeline, you you know, you think it should happen. But time and time again, I think, you know, outside of just my own experience, what you've shared, what I have also seen in other really successful male or female leaders is the differentiator is that of sensitivity. (laughs) The differentiator Mm -hmm. when they're climbing up or moving up in their roles or whatever it is you're doing, maybe you're an entrepreneur, that differentiator of being who you are is what sets you apart from the pack. You might not achieve the goal of quote unquote raising funds in one month, but you will find the right partner in six months that will make a difference and make up for the time that you thought you lost very, very quickly. I go back to that beginning of me being controller and then moving to CFO in a year and then moving to owner in another year. That is wild, right? I remember (laughs) when I was looking at other controllers of architecture firms, a lot of them had 20, 25 years plus experience, right? A lot of them had either, you know, studied accounting, they had their CPAs, a lot of them had rich experience. And here I was with 10 years experience given an opportunity to come in and run this firm. I would never have experienced two years of exponential growth, maybe in a different firm, if I wasn't being true to myself, right? If I wasn't being Mm -hmm. authentic to who I was, it makes a difference. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. So one of the other things that I want to talk to you about was creating a vision for your career. And I know that you mentioned earlier that you just didn't know what you wanted to do (laughs) at the beginning. Well, I'm sure now at this point, given where you are in your career, you obviously have a vision. You developed a vision over time. Why is it important for women, especially to have visions for their careers and where can they start? Yes, you are completely right. Beginning 15 years ago now, I didn't have a set plan. I didn't, you know, I wasn't there sitting saying, oh, I want to become CFO. In fact, Five years ago, I wasn't sitting saying I wanted to become CFO. But now that I am here, you know, I am, yes, there was intentionality along the ways five years ago to become controller, but even extremely more intentional now about setting a vision for myself, right? Because a lot of folks can say, well, you're a CFO, you're at the top. Like, what is next? You know, what else are you doing in your career? And you want to make sure you don't fall into this trap of being in a role and not still dreaming, and not still looking for ways in which you can grow, and not still setting a vision for yourself, right? And so one of the things that I do is write it down. (laughs) Okay, where have I been? I'm taking Uh stock. What have I accomplished so far? Where am I now? You know, thankfully, I had the opportunity to write the book, so that actually even forced me more to reflect a lot on what I've accomplished so far. But now here I am, my new year, I would use my birthday as a marker, right? So, so my birthday was in June and I sat down and just reflected on where I am professionally and what does the next year look like for me, you know? Mm-hmm. And I wrote things down, you know, I wrote down what I wanted to accomplish for the rest of the year. I wrote down what my one year plan was. I didn't go past the year, 
I don't like to go too far out, right? But at least what is my next step? And so I identified three or four core areas in which, and and I'll quickly, hold on, I just want to quickly share the areas that I had identified. I think this would be very, Mm -hmm. very helpful. This would be helpful for the listeners. I identified where do I need to learn? Who do I need to lift? Where do I need to lean in? Right. And where do I need to leap? Right. Essentially, what Mm -hmm. that means is where am I stretching myself? Right. What is my stretch goal for myself the next year? What do I need to learn? Like what knowledge am I missing? How can I improve myself in my role? Is there a certificate course that I need to take? Is there Mm -hmm. there a new area based on our firm goals? Is there a new area in which I need to improve my skill set on? Are there conferences that I need to attend to make sure that I am keeping pulse with everything that's happening in the industry? Or I'm also learning from peers, right? And so I had attended a CFO leadership conference back in, I think it was the May. And that conference was so amazing for me. One, you also feel like, okay, you're on the right path. <laughs> the decisions you're making are correct. Everyone is going through a similar situation that you're going through. And so that's areas in which I was constantly looking for improving myself. Who do I need to lift, right? So who am I lifting within the organization? As a female leader, how am I lifting the other women in my organization who are next generation leaders, right? Within the organ- Outside of my organization, how am I also helping other female leaders grow? So I'm constantly <laughs> reflecting constantly thinking, constantly taking stock of where I am. And then based on those areas that I identified, I set goals, like specific goals of what I want to work on, right? So I mentioned that we recently acquired a firm. And so now I'm in M&A phase. What is my M&A knowledge, right? Is there a way in which I can improve my knowledge and skill set if more acquisitions are in my firm's future? And so these are ways in which I set vision, a career vision for myself. But then when you write down these goals or when you write down your vision, don't just write it down and put it in a book or in an app and leave it and never go back and reflect on it. You have to constantly put this vision in front of you so that you make sure that you're not distracted or going off track or you make sure you're course correcting if the way you've dreamed it up in your head is not panning out as it should be, quickly course correct. The other thing that I do when I set, you know, the the vision for myself is that I build in moments within the year to slow down, right? So how am I slowing down, making sure that I'm looking at everything that's happening and taking stock again, right? You got to slow down because when you write something, it's not static because real world happens, real life things happen that can change, vastly change your plan. And so I slow down to speed up. So that's why I think it's very, very important, no matter your stage, right? Even, you know, if you've never done this for yourself, begin to do it and make sure that, you know, this vision that you're dreaming of for yourself, make sure that you actually put it down on paper. And just, I'm telling you, you will look back one year, well, maybe, you know, you do a three month look back and you're like, oh my goodness, I actually accomplished all these things that I said I was going to do. So I love what you said about this creating of vision and essentially being intentional about your career and what you want to achieve. And you started out talking about, you know, just because you reach a pinnacle in your career, you reach a high point doesn't mean that that's where it ends. So you're not a CFO. There's nothing else for you to do. There clearly is a lot of stuff that you still want to accomplish. And I love how you highlighted 
how you're being intentional. What do you need to learn? Who do you need to lift up? Who do you need to lean on? What resources and support do you need to achieve your goals? And not just writing it down and putting it aside, but tracking it and then looking back and reflecting to see how far you've come. And you shared so many gems and listening to you, you know, these are things that don't just apply in your career, but they can apply in your finances and your relationships and your overall life as well. So, you know, that is so, so important. Those are key takeaways. If you are listening to this episode and you need to rewind and write down what she said <laughs> about those key questions that she asked herself as blindly lays out her vision, please do that. It is so important for us to have vision so that we set a path where we are trying to get to, right? There is no greater disservice in your career than just to go with the flow, right? And that's something that many of us are guilty with. We're just going with the flow. We're waiting for them to promote us. We're waiting for them to give us the project. We're waiting for them to recognize us. No, you want to start taking the intentional action so that you can highlight why you should be recognized so that you can position yourself for that project and for that promotion and for whatever else it is that you want to accomplish in your career. So, yeah, so well, yeah. for women who are listening to this, who've heard everything you said, they're like, wow, she's accomplished so much. She shared her hurdles and her mistakes. But I would love for you to give some direct guidance to someone who needs to find courage to make those bold decisions in their career, whether it is seeking a promotion, seeking more responsibility, or even exiting a position for a different position or a better position. What are some key tips you can give someone to finding courage to make those bold decisions in their career? Yes. So for me, the way I think about courage and the way I, you know, tell people to think about it is courage is a muscle, mm-hmm. right? So at base, you know, when we think about muscles and we think about athletes or working out, which a lot of us might not like to do, but if we don't spend time training our courage muscle, we are not going to feel courageous. And so the very first step or tip that I usually give is one, just understand where your muscle is right now. Maybe you haven't exercised it in a while. Maybe you've done it once. Maybe you've done it a couple of times, but you know, you took a break. Understand where you are at when it comes to this courage muscle. And then once you understand where you're at, you're going to now need to train it, right? Again, you want to go from zero to 10, not zero to 100. What mm-hmm. I mean by that is, let's say you have a career decision or you're looking to make a change. You haven't spoken to your boss in a while or whatever the case may be. Practice small, right? So practice maybe with your friends if you need to have a very important conversation or like you want to go in and negotiate more for yourself. First, practice on someone. Practice with your friends. Get yourself a bit more comfortable. The more you practice your courage muscle, the more it's going to be strengthened. And then as you're getting courageous, you're going to now start getting more confident. If you don't speak up in meetings, maybe the next meeting you you go into, contribute a sentence. <laughs> You know, get used to hearing your own voice. (laughs) And then from there, share another idea. And then from there, maybe you ask to take on a piece of the meeting. The only way you're going to strengthen your, and I'm saying this again, I'm repeating it multiple times, but the only way you're going to strengthen that courage, you know, strengthen your courageous self is by working on it intentionally. And I think, you know, a lot of times in our heads, we might make up this huge, scenario, right? We might create scenarios in our heads that don't allow us either speak up or don't allow us go for the things that we want, but get out of your head and now put it into action. 
put it into action. If at a restaurant, you ask for water with ice, they bring the water without ice. It takes courage to send that back, send it back. <laughs> you know, these little <laughs> actions that these little, yes. I, I'm serious though, right? Because the way our- It sounds um, small, but it, it helps you. Yes. The way our things in our character form is by a collection or a series of small little acts that happen throughout our days. You know, that's how you're going to improve on the areas in which you want to work in. So now I'm not even speaking beyond courage, but going back mm-hmm. to being courageous, that literally is how I have been courageous. And I will tell you, with every new level in your career, in your life, it's going to require a different level of courage, right? So it's not that, again, like I said, it's not that now I'm CFO and I don't get nervous if I need to present something or I'm speaking at a conference and I don't feel, you know, the butterflies in my stomach. No, all of those are there. But I know, one, that I have all these years of practice, of leaning into that courageous side of myself, of taking bold action. So I reflect on all of that. And that allows me step out courageously. That allows me share my story or share the things that are happening in my career courageously because people now connect with that. So practice, 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 practice. It will only help you improve. Practice makes progress. I love that. Yep. And that is really important. Like starting with those small things that you don't even think are tied into you building the confidence to you becoming, you know, that bold woman. They make all the difference. Like you said, your character is built off of these different small actions you take every day. And that's actually really good, right? If you can't send the ice back, then how are you going to speak up in the meeting, right? You want to start where you can so that you can build up that character to help you succeed in your career. So thank you so much for sharing that. And we've been referencing your book throughout Building Boldly, Chart Your Unique Career Path and Lead with Courage. And I'd love for you just to share a bit more about your book with the readers before I let you go. Yeah, so my book is one that I'm so excited about. I'm excited (laughs) that it exists. Clearly, like, you know, we've been talking about this concept idea of boldness, right? And when I was thinking about the title, the content, sharing the things that I have done in my career, I really thought that, oh my goodness, you know, you've literally built a bold career. You've built a bold life. And it's essentially an action word that I want people to embody, which is, you know, that you're building boldly. So just brief insight into how I came up with the name. But the book, in essence, is meant to ignite within individuals and leaders the boldness to write their own career playbooks for success, right? We've been talking a lot about my career. We said that I never set out to be a CFO, but here I am. I never had a playbook, right? I didn't have a playbook. I, of course, learned from people, but I essentially have had to write my own career playbook. And so this book is meant, you know, when you read it, it's meant to set you on on a path to intentionally write your own career playbook for success. One, it's meant to help you understand how to really be bold, how to lean into the bold side of yourself, how to bet on yourself. In the book, I talk about something called the BOLD framework. I'm a big fan of acronyms. So, you know, the B in BOLD stands for be yourself. O is opening your mind to new definitions and opportunities. L is lift others. And D is don't wait, do it now. And at the end of every chapter in the book, I reference the bold framework and how, you know, the different themes that 
arose during my career, how, you know, that whole framework applies to them. So I'm excited for folks to read it <laughs> and to feel gingered to action, <laughs> right? I don't just want you to read it and be inspired and be like, well, I said, I don't want you to read it and be like, oh, she's so inspirational. No, it's meant for you to now finish reading it, reference back to it time and time again, and set you on your own path. If you haven't been in the driver's seat in your career, it's time for you to be in the driver's seat. Some folks will say, well, why did you write this book now? I'm like, because I'm like knee deep in the middle of my career. I consider myself mid-career. I still have a lot of career ahead of me to go. Mm -hmm. So why not now? Why not while I'm figuring things out, you know? And I'm not too far from the folks who are graduating college. (laughs) So so they can learn from my journey and set them on the right path. And then my peers can also learn from me. And then also folks who are, you know, 30-year veterans can see how those of us who are 15 years in are leading. And maybe they can, you know, write out the rest of their career years really boldly. I love that. I love that. Well, thank you for sharing this. And before I let you go, I ask everybody who comes on the podcast, what is your Clever Girl superpower? My Clever Girl superpower is giving back. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm constantly looking for ways to give back to people, give back to women, give back to children through all my She Builds initiatives. Once I learn something, I must share so that the next person come in has it easier. Yeah, I love that. Giving back is definitely a superpower and you are giving back to us through this podcast and through your books. So thank you for being here. Before you go, last thing, (laughs) please tell everyone where they can find you and learn more about you and your book as well. Sure. So you can find me at my website, www.bolanglewo.com. If you're on LinkedIn, you just search my name, Bolangli Williams Ollie. If you want to see like my cute little kids, you can find me on Instagram at Bolangli underscore HQ. And to buy my book, I believe everywhere books are sold. So on Amazon, of course, Barnes and Noble. And on my website, you can learn more there too. Thank you so much, Bolangli. We will be sure to link all of that in the show notes. I appreciate you coming on to share your amazingness with us and for your time as well. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a good conversation. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you've loved the episode, but you don't yet subscribe to the podcast, you can do that everywhere you listen to your podcast episodes and head on over to iTunes and leave a review so other amazing women just like you can find this podcast as well. Thank you so much for being here, and I'll talk to you on the next episode.